0: Artificial intelligence and machine learning will be the only way we can continue to be resilient as a society. 2017 alone, when we had hurricanes, Harvey, Irma, Maria, we had roughly $250 billion worth of cost of disruption. That's the GDP of many countries right there. And so as we start to face these increasing disruptions, we have to operate beyond human speed.
1: Welcome to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. You just heard Alex Martinick, commercial industry specialist at Esri, describe how climate change and other pressures are forcing businesses to reevaluate their approach to resilience and risk. Esri Commercial Services lead John Lenehan investigates how geospatial thinking and emerging technologies have enabled key Fortune 500 companies to improve operational resiliency against economic downturns.
2: Hi, Alex, and welcome back to the Esri and the Science Aware podcast. Really excited for our little chat today. Anytime we speak, you really challenge me to look at things from a different perspective with a different view. So I'm looking forward to more of that today with you. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. I want to first talk about business resiliency and that area of expertise that you really bring to the podcast today. What to you are the most profound impacts of this pandemic? What's the reality we face now and and beyond in years ahead? If 2020 has highlighted
0: nothing else, It's that the business disruptions that we've been facing, whether it's natural disasters, political and economic uncertainty, or health for this matter, these risks are far more complex, costly, and interdependent than we originally had thought. And One of the profound takeaways I have from COVID-19 is that we had a naive approach that really relied on conventional wisdom or historical data. Here was this emerging risk. And suddenly, before you realized it, it had not only emerged, but it completely disrupted the entirety of our economy to a a scale that I don't think we've seen before. Now, granted, there have always been choke points and frictions and risks within business. You don't have to look far. Of course, a great deal of writing from Michael Porter and the Harvard Business Review are all about minimizing disruptions for a competitive advantage. But I'd argue that never before have we seen one type of event come out and disrupt not just an entire business or industry, but again, the entirety of what we do. Business resiliency is one of the most searched business buzzwords out there. Uh, It's very popular now in the C-suite or that managing director level to be talking about resilient strategies. In the Fortune 100 space pre-COVID-19, the operating budget for security and risk in some cases was under $10 million on average. That's, it's very low when you look at the size of these organizations. So we're seeing this fundamental reshaping of business resiliency, and this has led to its new understanding. Resiliency is no longer a cost center. It's not just about mitigation. The more resilient an organization is, the more able they are to quickly adapt to volatile situations and not only minimize the cost of disruption, but they're able to maximize on emerging opportunities that any crisis is
2: going to inevitably create. What needs to change post-pandemic with respect to business resilience planning within organizations? Resiliency,
0: by its new definition, uh, requires that organizations have a dynamic framework for adaptive resilience. When I talk about a dynamic framework, it's one that is flexible, not a static process. Traditional risk management strategies really relied on the outputs of business continuity planning and static standard operating procedures. These situations are changing at such rapid speeds and at their scale that you need to have that flexibility. Uh, It's not just policy, but also your technology as well needs to be flexible enough because you can't fundamentally recode your systems every time a disruption happens. Now, adaptive resiliency. This is something that is the most interesting to me because it's almost a reversal of how businesses have thought about risk for uh, decades. I, I think the traditional view of risk for most businesses has been to transfer it to another party. Uh, I know you've worked heavily in insurance, so you you understand that the transfer of liability to a risk pool, that's the basis of insurance. Well, we're seeing the reverse now. Government organizations and insurance companies are putting the risk right back now in the private sector's hands. So This transfer is heading back into where businesses now have more liability and exposure, than ever before, plus the vulnerability and exposure to these risks are increasing. So as you look at the rising uh, amount of natural disasters as the result of climate change, that's certainly uh, top of many organizations' minds. But what about political risk, economic uncertainty? With globalized businesses, of course, the politics of countries that are thousands of miles away are now incredibly relevant to the survival of your business. And how you're resilient for one is different than how you're resilient to the other. So it's that dynamic
2: framework for adaptive resiliency. I really like that term adaptive framework and and resiliency. When you talk about this adaptive framework, it, it makes me think it's really about the challenge of changing data, big data, but think about human movement, new sources of data from risk sensor technologies, et cetera. How do you see location intelligence as being part of the underlying business intelligence many organizations have in place?
0: Well, location intelligence is the natural next step for many organizations beyond the digital transformation. It's not about just having big data. You need, of course, enough data and the right data, but you need to have the ability to access it, manipulate it, and understand it. You need insights on demand. And here's where location intelligence is the natural segue to those on demand insights. We cannot think and understand data at the data level. Now location is perfect because spatial thinking is a natural lens to understand clearly massive amounts of disparate data that are everything ranging from spatial, but also temporal. So that's where location intelligence comes into play as these situations increase at rapid speeds, we need to be able
2: to completely augment the decision-making process. What are some examples of businesses that have used location intelligence in their resiliency planning that have weathered COVID's impact? In regards to the the retail
0: space and unified commerce, uh, some organizations have been posting 30% revenue gains And what is the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression? How have they done this? And that was really a case study in how digital transformation and location intelligence can help transform and democratize data insights throughout an entire business. A great example comes from Bass Pro Shop. Uh, Before the virus really had been taking hold, as far as we knew, there was fear spreading, uh, erratic consumer behaviors. We saw shortages of sugar, flour, yeast, toilet paper, everything because people were panic buying. Well, if you're a retailer and you specialize in survival gear, you can only imagine that you were a you know, prime area of growth for individuals looking for everything from meal replacements, options to, to gear. Bass Pro Shop empowered the retail operations with what they were learning about the virus in real time. And interestingly enough, everyone was on a different timeline when it came to the virus. Think about Bass Pro Shop, national retailer, because of the geography. So their Bass Pro Shop in California may have had different constraints and were on a different part of their trajectory compared to other parts of of the Southwest or or the South. And that was remarkable to me about the hyper-local extent of location intelligence. You're able to understand where someone else is in their timeline, so you can apply those lessons learned. And and that way of democratizing insights helped them to respond not only to the virus, but also the legislative risk you have to look at, which was uh, social distancing requirements. Some places had more stringent requirements, and they need to understand that for
2: all of their operational picture. I'm really interested in, and, and I've been seeing this idea of evolving data inputs and really the, the role of risk sensors, sensor data, new forms of data that are informing risk management and resiliency. What are you seeing and, and what's really kind of the takeaway that you're seeing in, in the market? We've talked about the move away
0: from the historic data and benchlines into more augmented decision-making. I think, you know, going into a bit more detail on that, it's now the utilization of sensors and data sources that were previously um, unrealized or undervalued within organizations. So if I was to just look at COVID-19 for an example, certain areas, certain um, countries were able to more granularly track the spread of the virus, because they were implementing uh, more sensors. They were able to understand and overlap where there were positive cases by communities versus human movement data. And there's been some work done around this within the United States over uh, various um, events that took place during the pandemic and how the origin destination, for example, of spring breakers traveling led to outbreaks in other areas of the country. We're able to track this. In some cases, down to very granular levels, like a strip of beach where one particular um, party or event may have happened, and then follow the spread of that virus throughout the rest of the country and communities. It's not just limited to COVID, though. You're able to utilize all of the various sensors we have around us, from cell phone data to just the uh, astonishingly low cost of, of implementing smart sensors now in your shipping containers or telematics and vehicles. The main challenge is going to be, as it's been for the last couple of years, we've been talking about big data since uh, at least as long as I've been working. It's about the synthesization of it. These new sensors are providing invaluable sources of data in real time to provide dynamic indications of these evolving types of crises as they occur. And if we don't utilize them, we will not
2: be able to respond appropriately. It ties back to your earlier comments on the adaptive framework, being ready to ingest and leverage any new data sources as they come, as they come on, online. Yeah. And just to put in perspective
0: of this, you have to just think about the, the sheer scale. Uh, last year, we had 9,600, actually over 9,600 wildfires in the state of California. There's only 365 days in the year. And we had 9,600. Now, granted, many of them were very small blazes that were under 1,000 acres. But to put this in perspective, in California, we categorize wildfires based on three criteria to really understand their severity. The first one is the measure of size. How many acres were burned? The second one is a measure of the economic cost. How many structures were damaged? And the third is, unfortunately, about mortality rate. How many individuals lost their lives? When you take the 9,600 wildfires we had last year, we ranked in various categories at one, four, five, six, and 7. In fact, take those same three categories for a moment. We've been tracking wildfire since 1930. This is 90 years. 70% of those top 10 in all three categories are in the last 10 years. Just, just think about that for a moment, the sheer size and scale. They're more frequent. They're more destructive. Now, back to those advanced analytics you were talking about. Imagine having dynamic risk scores of your relative risk or exposure so you can more precisely know which areas are statistically highest likelihood to have a wildfire emerge. Not just because it's hot out, because it's California, uh, but because of the vegetation rates, the wind speeds, the soil composition, the uh, types of forest. Those are invaluable assets because right now, California just has a lot of extreme wildfire risk. But that doesn't tell us that much for combating them
2: proactively. Do you have an example, Alex, that maybe would really drive that home?
0: I can share a story about an automotive manufacturer pre-COVID that wanted to understand their uh, exposure to natural disasters. Any type of modern good now has hundreds, if not thousands, of individual producers or suppliers at stake and uh, these choke points, especially in the automotive industry, uh, can uh, add up very quickly. If a facility goes down for a day, that can be millions of dollars in lost economic costs. But also, when you're looking at the transport of the merchandise, this automotive manufacturer wanted to understand, once you have the, the final product, the finished good, the automobile, how can you track it from its uh, final origin to the uh, car lots themselves in distribution? And ahead of time, augment that whole process with artificial intelligence and machine learning to look at the early indicators and warnings of severe weather events or natural disasters that were emerging like hurricanes so that they could fully understand the downstream effects of that. So again, if there was a particular key piece of the uh, software or the hardware that would be impacted by a uh, tropical cyclone or hurricane, they wanted to know well in advance where they needed to operate and create parts now at a different facility.
2: That really speaks to the impact that location intelligence can have in in terms of them helping to understand and, and really mitigate risk to their business. But you can't talk about location intelligence now without also talking about advanced analytics. Can you talk a little bit about how advanced location analytics are being integrated into supply chain visibility And really affecting the agility of supply chain management, which, getting back to your earlier point, is the key. Agility and that adaptive framework. Well, one of the things that I'm
0: really excited about when it comes to predictive analytics itself is fundamentally how it's changing to no longer rely solely on just historic data and historic trends. We're seeing those moves away from those historic bench lines for some type of inference to now real-time insights coming from live sensors and feeds that are helping to create an augmented view for decision-makers well in advance of any crisis occurring. We're seeing this a lot in the insurance industry, but also within retail and unified commerce. What are the early alerts that you can get that would help you not only minimize costs, but maximize on opportunity later? So supply chain, for example, Where is it that if you know there's gonna be a disruption of your supplies in one location, you're able to quickly pivot and adapt and allocate resources to meet other types of emerging opportunities wherever
2: they may be. With that in mind, what about machine learning? What about artificial intelligence? Do they still hold promise for kind of post-COVID recovery? And how do you see their impact being most felt? And, And are there specific industries that are using it and to what effect?
0: Not only are they going to be relevant, I, I think firmly that artificial intelligence and machine learning to augment our existing processes will be the only way we can continue to be resilient as a society. Uh, last year in the United States alone, Munich republished that we had 89 billion in insured losses, 89 billion in just insured losses in the United States. Now, For those that uh, don't have familiarity with insurance, there's what we call an insurance gap. There's costs that will be covered, but there's a lot of costs that aren't. And this doesn't also account for those who are underinsured. So when you look at the total economic cost of natural disasters last year, 89 billion is just the start. Uh, 2017 alone, when we had hurricanes, Harvey, Irma, Maria, we had roughly, I think Swiss Re had at that point said, $250 billion worth of cost of disruption. That's astonishing. That's the GDP of many countries right there. And so as we start to face these increasing disruptions and the business sector is starting to get more and more risk transferred back to them. We have to operate beyond human speeds. Here's where artificial intelligence and machine learning completely changed the game. You have dynamic real-time alerts and that starts to change the risk management
2: game uh, quite a bit. What are some of your predictions for how geospatial technology can really help these companies comply with new or increased climate requirements and and climate risk? The business world is waking
0: up, the C-suite is realizing that climate change that's being propelled by human activity is more now than just an existential threat to our society. Businesses are facing the consequences of climate change now. And they're understanding it more so than they did 10 years ago. And this is very evident, not only with the climate pledge that many organizations have taken uh, the divestment away from carbon offending firms, but when you look at the 10K filings, I always like to follow documentation to guide the, the kind of general consensus of the business world. Let's take the Fortune 500 and look at 10K filings, which represent risks and costs of doing business. We are seeing a drastic increase of natural disasters and climate change
2: directly cited as costs to doing business. I've seen an uptick in organizations recognizing that climate change and climate risk not only is something that they need to deal with from a risk perspective, but also an opportunity perspective so they can do good by doing well uh, financially and in the market opportunity. What have you seen in in that space and any examples that kind of come to mind of companies that are taking this as an opportunity?
0: Yeah. And this is, I, I think, incredibly refreshing to see in terms of this idea of sustainability. Let's be honest. For many organizations, the term sustainability had an almost negative connotation in years past. But what they're finding is it's more than just environmental sustainability or social sustainability. Sustainable practices are the ones that are also the most reliable.
2: They're the most resilient. What's the number one concern you have in the area of resilience and continuity and then what are the important steps business leaders, decision makers need and should take if they're concerned about business resilience in their organization?
0: What I'm going to say is going to sound slightly out there, but I, I promise you I, I have a reason for this. Because right now, as we look at the evolving threat landscape, the threat landscape is everything that could possibly pose a disruption to a business Swiss Re, back in June, published their annual sonar report where they look at basically the pulse of risk in its entirety. And they'll cite all of the main emerging threats. And you can imagine they're the same as what we've been seeing over the past few months in the news. We're looking at the pandemic. We're looking at climate change. We're looking at political instability, the rise of hypernationalism, but also economic uncertainty. All of these are related. But if you were to ask me what, for me, was going to be potentially one of the greatest sources of business risk and disruption moving forward uh, out of this pandemic. It's not any of these in particular, per se. It's social risk. It's brand risk, reputation risk. And Now, hear me out when I say that. How you respond to a disruption whether it's political, economic, or climatological is just as important as the response itself for minimizing the cost and moving forward. No CEO, as far as I understand, have lost their job because of a natural disaster. However, when we look back a few years ago, a very notable manufacturer or retailer lost an executive officer and the CEO and founder over comments that were misogynistic, body shaming basically their consumer base. And we're seeing this increasingly. If I was Jamie Dimon, it's no longer enough just to be a brilliant financial mind. I have to champion positive change and stand for the same types of morals and values as my consumers. And we're seeing this too with, with stocks in the market capitalization. Reputation risk can cause a greater loss in market capitalization than almost any other risk out there. Now, you may be asking, How is a reputation or social risk connected to location intelligence? And and here's, you know, again, why I said hear me out fully. Location intelligence provides a platform for insights, actionable insights that lead to understanding. That understanding should always precede your action and your comments. Being able to understand a highly complex situation through the lens of location provides a more holistic, empathetic approach to understanding the crises that you're trying to address. And, you know, taking this uh, one step further, one of the initiatives I've helped um, spearhead here at Esri has been our equitable finance initiative, which is geared towards eliminating structural barriers to equitable financial participation Uh, along the uh, racial lines. It's, it's It's combating the negative effects of redlining and racial covenants within the United States. By understanding the issue through a locational lens, you're able to fully grasp the sheer scope of it. You're able to look at the millions of Americans who are underbanked in our society in both urban, suburban and rural communities. And then you're also able to overlay that with the data to find out That in hyperlocal segments of urban areas in the United States, there are banking deserts that are disproportionately uh, made up of individuals who are Black, Indigenous, or a person of color. When you're able to fully understand and visualize the issues that you're trying to combat, you can do so in a more effective way. And so as I look at uh, pledges that are coming out from J.P. Morgan Chase, who's pledged $30 billion towards racial equity, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and the rest, it's one thing to pledge the money, but the next is making sure it goes somewhere that does the most good. This is a resiliency strategy because you're not only empowering communities, you're growing your consumer base, and you're fostering positive change for a shared symbiotic development of your communities through your business. So that's where I look at how reputation
2: risk is one of the greatest challenges facing our business climate moving forward. Alex, thanks again. Always great to catch up with you in, in chat. Look forward to speaking again soon. Well, thank you very much, John. It was a pleasure.
1: Thank you for listening to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. And thanks to Alex Martinik for explaining how location-driven insights are helping the business sector create robust resiliency plans hardened to disruptions. If you like this episode, please take a moment to rate Esri and the Science of Wear podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about how location intelligence enables digital transformation and drives growth, visit Esri.com forward slash DX.